Good morning. Excited to open the Word with you this morning. Uh, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 8. We'll be uh, continuing on. Uh, we're still with Philip at the end of Acts chapter 8, but there's a, uh, kind of a transition here where uh, the apostles are going to begin a series of three conversion stories, each uh, similar to each other in some ways and very different each other in some ways. But before we get to the text, uh, I wanted to mention something uh, that I think uh, has something to do with our text this morning. And and some of you uh, might remember uh, the person or the people that I have in mind, but a while back, uh, Adam Stair met somebody uh, in the way that Adam Stair meets people. And uh, that person... uh, joined us for a time. They've since moved away. Uh, But I got to know this person very well and ended up uh, getting to know some of his friends very well. And they lived in a halfway house together. And as I got to know him and as I got to know his friends, uh, they learned that I was a pastor. Uh, The one thing that almost always came up in an early conversation uh, was yeah, I've just never really been welcomed in a church. Uh, like, I, I walk in and, and I'm not welcome. And, uh, you know, most of these guys, uh, I don't know that, I don't know how to say this politely, I don't know that they knew how to do laundry. Uh, <laughs> and most of them were pretty unkempt, and most of them probably didn't bathe all that regularly. Most of them uh, most of them struggled to go probably more than 30 minutes without a cigarette. Uh, most of them, uh, they were polite, but it was like a, a lot of profanity in their language. Uh, and, you know, like, oh, sorry, they would catch themselves, but it was just so habitual that, like, they would say things and then realize they said it. Uh, and, you know, probably a lot of the a lot of them didn't seem all that surprised uh, that they weren't welcome in church because they understood they're not church people. Uh, they're not like church people. And uh, it was uh, sad to me that uh, there were so many people that were kind of universally of the opinion that like, well, when you make the kinds of decisions that I make, you're just not welcome in church. And uh, at the same time, recognize that, uh, you know, they, uh, a lot of them made the kinds of decisions that make lots of other people uncomfortable. And uh, I wanted to bring that up early on, just kind of nestle that in the mind, because I think Uh, probably like as we read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, there's things about the Ethiopian eunuch that don't seem all that strange to us, but uh, the the transition at this point, or the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, I think for a Jewish reader, uh, would have been uh, something of a remarkable story where we look at the text pretty plainly, and even uh, some commentators would say, 
Well, this is the first Gentile conversion. And, and technically, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is a Gentile, but uh, because he's a God-fearer, um, they would have uh, probably thought of him as, uh, as in the periphery of the Jewish nation. Right? He's not a Jew, uh, and actually he's, he's not able to be uh, a Jew in the sense that a con- convert to Judaism would be because he's a eunuch. Uh, but I want to read through this text and uh, as we read through the text and uh, think about uh, you know, what exactly is happening here. So beginning in verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And as he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a shepherd, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that we can gather this morning, Lord, that we can celebrate your grace together, and Lord, we pray that as we turn our minds to your word now, Lord, that you would grant us understanding, Lord, that we would uh, have a deeper appreciation for uh, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would see plainly God, your love for all people, your desire to see all people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and Lord, that you would convict our hearts, God, that we would readily embrace the call that you've given us, God, that we would uh, engage in the mission that you've given us to call all people to faith in Christ, Lord, that 
your church may continue to be built for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the setup is pretty simple, uh, and, and really the story is pretty simple. Uh, Philip, we already know, a, a deacon who has engaged in some ministry, had been busily about uh, the work of the Lord in Samaria, had a, sort of a confrontation with Simon the Magician, uh, and as uh, the gospel takes hold in Samaria, uh, the Lord gives Philip some new direction uh, to go down to uh, Gaza, and this, this is the Gaza that's in the news, right? He's, he's going down to kind of the southern end of Israel now uh, into the desert place. And if, as an aside, I think, uh, if you were, if you were Philip, uh, right? Or if I were Philip, uh, and things had been going so well in Samaria, uh, and you felt the Lord telling you, like, go down to this place now. Like, this is the kind of place you'd think, like, why on earth would I ever go there? There's nobody there. It's desolate. Like, it's desert. There's, there's nothing there. But I, as an aside, I think uh, it's worth noting that Philip's uh, response to direction from the Lord is unquestioning obedience. Right? He rose and went. He didn't ask why. He didn't try to guess at what the Lord was doing. He simply obeyed. And when he gets there, uh, he meets uh, someone who is new to us, an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the, probably the best way to describe this guy, right? So uh, Ethiopia, or what, what's said to be Ethiopia here, would be in the Old Testament, Cush. And Cush had... Uh, God-fearers, people that had appreciated the wisdom of Solomon and sort of had uh, an expression of Judaism in Cush. And this guy is apparently well off. Uh, he was uh, something like the, you know, we would maybe the treasury secretary or the minister of finance or something, a, a high official in the government, uh, financially well off, uh, entrusted with uh, significant authority, but uh, also a eunuch, literally uh, a eunuch. And uh, because he's a eunuch, even as a God-fearer, uh, he, he is never allowed to really participate in uh, Jewish worship at the temple. A person of means from Ethiopia could certainly go to the temple and and even proselytize to the Jewish religion, like convert to Judaism. But because this man is a eunuch, no matter what reality is going on in his heart, he would never make it past the court of the Gentiles, right? He, he couldn't go into the temple. He wouldn't be able to participate in temple worship, Deuteronomy 23. Like as a eunuch, he's not allowed to be a participant in uh, what happens at the temple, yet uh, because of his fear for the Lord and with his financial means, he still uh, makes it all the way uh, to Jerusalem, very something of a pilgrimage, uh, spent some time in Jerusalem worshiping the Lord as much as he's able to do. And then 
on his way back to Ethiopia, uh, he is reading the prophet Isaiah. And we learn very quickly that he's learning, reading the, the servant song of Isaiah. But uh, this, again, is probably reinforcing that this is a very well-to-do person. He had a personal copy of the scroll of Isaiah. He is uh, very well off, uh, but his, his heart uh, seems to be very much to worship the Lord as much as he's able. Right? He wants to know the word of the Lord. He wants to participate in the worship of Jerusalem as much as he can, yet because of his uh, physical state, he's not really allowed to be a, a part of the people of God. And Philip uh, takes the opportunity uh, to go up to him uh, and note again uh, how this is introduced. It was introduced initially with the Spirit of the Lord telling him to go here. Now the Spirit of the Lord is telling him to uh, engage with uh, the guy in the chariot. And I, I really through the passage, it's, uh, it's a strong theme that the Lord is directing all of this, right? That uh, Philip isn't uh, of his own initiative deciding like, well, Deuteronomy 23 doesn't matter, but God is directing Philip to do this. That there's, there's something here God wants his people to understand. And so Philip, again, simply obeys. He runs up to the chariot and I guess jogging alongside. He says, do, you, do you know what you're reading? And uh, it's kind of a play on words in Greek. It, it's like uh, they're different. Understand and reading are different words, but it, it almost, in Greek it almost sounds like, do you understand what you're understanding, right? Like, uh, it's not a, a rude thing to ask. It maybe kind of sounds like a joke. And uh, the Ethiopian responds, uh, how can I? Uh, nobody has explained it to me, right? Like, and and he doesn't launch into the fact that, well, uh, you know, you Jews <laughs> kind of keep me on the outside. Nobody, I'm not allowed to go into synagogues and hear, like, look at me, I'm an Ethiopian eunuch. I, I read this and it means whatever I think it means. And, I, you know, no one else corrects me. But uh, eager to take the opportunity to grow in his understanding of the word of the Lord, he asks Philip to join him. So Philip steps into the chariot, and uh, as Philip's getting into the chariot, he's come to a part of the servant song, Isaiah 53, this is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, uh, and goes ahead and, and reads, uh, or continues to read where he's at in the servant song, and obviously, and probably we should understand providentially, uh, he is in the part of uh, the song where uh, Isaiah is foretelling, uh, we know, Jesus' death and uh, that uh, Jesus ultimately suffers and is humiliated uh, like a lamb led to slaughter. And the, the eunuch asks Philip at this point, who exactly is he talking about here? Which might seem to be kind of a crazy question to us because, uh, you know, like, it's the servant song of Isaiah, but uh, there were lots of Jews at the time who uh, kind of argued about whether the servant song in Isaiah was about Isaiah himself, like Isaiah was talking about his own experience, or if Isaiah was looking forward to some 
future figure. So at this point, we, like probably we should understand that the eunuch has like some appreciation of, uh, I guess, common thought about the Word of God. He is a student of the Word. He just doesn't really understand the Word. And so Philip begins explaining it. Uh, he starts with the scripture, and he apparently explains uh, how Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of the song of Isaiah, and uh, shares the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, with this Ethiopian eunuch. And You know, that probably doesn't seem surprising to us, right? Like, we, we know that the gospel is for all people, right? But uh, think about the fact, like, that uh, Philip had grown up knowing, like, that, that this person is excluded from the assembly. As a eunuch, he is excluded from the assembly. He, like, he had grown up uh, knowing, like, this isn't just a matter of preference. The law of God says that this person is excluded from the assembly. Yet, when he has the opportunity, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with this guy and, and invites his participation. And, uh, you know, I, we might grow up uh, not on the basis of the Word of God, but just with cultural preference or uh, personal preference, thinking there's some people that, that just aren't the church people type. But, I mean, Philip, he's not there. The, that, that is a conviction from the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Ethiopian eunuch in the Old Covenant is excluded from temple worship. Yet, Philip understands that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are no people excluded from the grace of God. That the grace of God is for absolutely everyone. And apparently, uh, in the conversation with Philip, uh, they get past the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Philip must have been explaining something about uh, what newness of life in Jesus Christ looks like, because uh, there's some gap in the conversation, and the next thing we know, the Ethiopian is asking about baptism. Uh, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And, you know, as I read this, I think probably there's some eagerness uh, to want to be baptized, but I think there's probably, we should understand, some hesitancy in the Ethiopian eunuch who had been hearing all of his life, like, yeah, well, we're not saying you can't fear God or you can't read Scripture, but, like, you're, you're not allowed to be fully included in the people of God. You're, a, you're an Ethiopian and you're a eunuch. Like, keep your distance. You're not, you're not invited to be a full participant in God's grace. That probably there is some hesitation in the eunuch's mind, like, okay, I, I get what you're saying about Jesus, and like, I, I want to be a part of this, but I assume, like, you know, I'm an Ethiopian, and I'm a eunuch, like, there's probably some reason I can't be baptized, right? And uh, there's not. Philip immediately commands the chariot to stop, 
they get down out of the chariot, and uh, Philip and the eunuch step down into the water, and Philip baptizes him. Uh, And with Philip's baptizing him, uh, he is now uh, like visibly, fully a participant in the community of God. He has been welcomed into the church. And uh, Philip uh, then is uh, carried away, and, and I don't think you could read this text not thinking carried away in the sense that Jesus was carried away in his ascension or uh, supernaturally carried away, but that the Lord had directed him. It could be understood, I think, either way. Uh, but at any point, this is their part departure, right? They, Philip goes his way, and the Ethiopian uh, goes on towards home, rejoicing. And then Luke tells us that Philip uh, then makes his way up to Caesarea and uh, continues to minister in Caesarea. We're not going to see Philip again. Later in the book, Philip will be reintroduced to us. Paul goes to visit him, and Philip's three daughters will be prophesying. But we're not going to see Philip again for a while. But if you, uh, I think, understand the ministry of Philip then. Over the course of the last few weeks, right, he went out from Jerusalem carrying the gospel to Samaritans who uh, probably uh, people would have understood. Like, we, we get that Jesus is saying the gospel can go to Samaritans, but can it? And Philip takes the gospel to Samaritan, to Samaria, begins preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. There is a spiritual battle with Simon Magnus and the apostles recognize uh, the progress of the gospel in Samaria. And now Philip has uh, gone on to uh, have this interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch, where again we see the gospel moving forward, not just in a place where it had not been, but with the sort of person that uh, everybody would have understood to this point, like is uh, prevented from, you know, true, meaningful, full participation or relationship with God. And so, uh, you know, in a very short amount of time, uh, in the ministry of Philip, we see remarkable progress of the gospel, not just in terms of place, but in terms of people, that it's becoming clearer and clearer, I think, for the church, that the gospel is indeed for all people. And, uh, you know, as you, as we reflect on the text, I I think probably, uh, you know, we're, we're in, we're in a place where, uh, you know, we're not where they were, but maybe sometimes we're not all that far off from where they were at either, where, like, probably on conviction, we would never say, like, that there are people that just aren't welcome here, right? Like, uh, there are people that are excluded from the community of the church, right? Uh, We wouldn't say that on conviction. But, like, if we're being honest with ourselves, would we say, like, on preference or on expectation, uh, we act as though there are certain people that aren't welcome here, right? And, and honestly, probably 
if we asked everybody in the room, everybody would have different criteria, right? Uh, some of us would probably make that decision uh, based on appearance. Some of us might make that decision based on manner of speaking or conduct. Some of us might uh, pick out a particular behavior as if that would exclude somebody from the people of God. Some of us might say, well, your political ideology potentially could exclude you from the people of God. Right? We probably all have different reasons, but I bet we all have this impulse that there are certain people that just aren't really cut out for the church, right? And what we're seeing, I think, in the ministry of Philip is that there are no people that are not cut out for the life of the church. There was one thing that absolutely every one of us shared that made us at one point unfit for the people of God. And that was our absolute rebellion against the sovereignty of God. Our commitment to our own sin made us uh, unfit for the people of God. And God rectified that through the person of Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, absolutely everyone is welcomed into the people of God. And I think we, we have to understand that at a, a conceptual sense but uh, probably also in a practical sense, uh, I think we have to recognize that there is, and there, there should never be a person that's on the fringe of the church. Right? The Ethiopian eunuch was certainly on the fringe of Judaism before his interaction with Philip. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, is there now should be no people on the fringe. That, that never, under any circumstances, practically speaking, someone walk into this room and feel like they are unwelcome. Ever. That, that if somebody walks out of this room feeling like they were unwelcome, then we have failed. Right? That that our responsibility always is to invite people graciously, generously, lovingly into the grace of God. And I, on the one hand, like, I think that we do a very good job of this, uh, right? Uh, in some ways, uh, right? I'll, I'll also never forget, uh, George and I were discipling a student at the university who's from uh, New York and like from near the city. And he, Nebraska was a change for him. And, you know, we were talking to him about, you really need to get plugged into a church. You really need to get plugged into a church. But uh, we're a little bit far from UNL, but uh, because George and I were with him so much, he decided he was going to start coming here, but coming from New York City to uh, 148th and Roker Road is a little bit of a transition, right? He didn't, he told us later, he didn't know what to expect, and he didn't really know what people would think of him, and you know, he's a, he's a New York City kid, a Brooklyn kid, uh, and he still, to this day, every time we talk, after years, he says, how's Lyle doing? 
Right? It was the first thing he experienced uh, walking into the building was a terrifyingly warm and generous handshake from Lyle. Uh, and I, I think, like, in one sense, uh, we are a very welcoming church, but as you've heard me say many times, uh, there is no such thing as faithful enough, right? That increasingly, we have to be people who extend the grace. Uh, our standard should never be, are we more welcoming than other churches? Right? Like, that is a garbage standard. Uh, our standard should be, are we as hospitable of Christ? And if the answer to that question is no, we're not yet as hospitable as Jesus Christ, then we're not hospitable enough. Right? That when you see somebody walk into this room, I don't care what you have planned to do after church, right? the thing that is now most important for you that day is to make that person feel welcome in the church. People should never walk out of this room with anything other than the clear impression that they are welcomed, they are received into the grace of God. And even as I, I think that that is very much part of uh, why Luke chooses to include this story in particular, I think that you could also look at the interaction with uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and see uh, in the Ethiopian eunuch uh, it's a very probably brief explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the suffering servant, and then apparently some explanation of, you know, what steps of obedience as the fruit of salvation must look like, because the next thing we know is he's asking to be baptized. And, and I think that uh, the eagerness of the Ethiopian eunuch to obey and to be included into the people of God uh, should be an inspiration for us. Right? That there's no, uh, there's no like, well, we're going to shelf you for a little bit. You need to learn more before you start obeying, or you need to feel something before you start obeying. Right? There's no delay between his accepting Jesus Christ and his wanting to act in obedience. He wants to walk in obedience. And certainly uh, his baptism isn't contributing to his salvation, but his baptism is absolutely an indication that he immediately has the sort of impulse to obey that Philip has himself in obeying the Lord's direction and going to Gaza. And I think uh, that that, should be challenging to us, right? That uh, there's no like, well, I need to rest and recover. I need to feel something in my gut. I need to know more before I obey. There is receiving grace in Jesus Christ and then out of an overflowing heart of worship, an immediate impulse to obey the clear direction of the Lord. And finally, uh, I, would, I would suggest to you uh, that What we're seeing in Philip's interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch is clearly the Lord directing circumstances so that someone comes into the grace of Jesus Christ. Right? And I'll say it bluntly, 
take absolutely every opportunity that God gives you. God is opening doors absolutely all the time. God is opening doors in your life for you to participate in the advance of the gospel. And we all are very, very good at uh, walking past open doors. Uh, how many times uh, in the past 12 months, five years, do you think somebody said something to you, like made some comment about uh, you're going to church on Sunday night for a hot dog roast? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, church seems important to you or, or something about church and you just kind of smile and nod and you, you don't really say anything. Or how many times in the last few years has somebody made some comment to you about uh, uh, your family seems really sweet or your grandkids seem really sweet or like some comment that was some opportunity for you to talk about the fruit of the gospel in your life and you just kind of nod and accept it or, or make a joke about it and, and don't say anything about the fruit of the gospel in your life. The, uh, the Lord is absolutely sovereignly opening doors for us not unlike the way he opens this door for Philip, and rather than take the opportunities that the Lord gives us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, we just kind of walk past like it's, like it's nothing. I think probably for most of you right now, if I said, who is the person in your life that God seems to pretty regularly be opening doors for conversation about the gospel that you're not taking, right? that a name would come to your mind. And probably for some of you, you could genuinely say, I don't, I don't really know that there is that person now. But if you're in the first group of people, the people that have a name that comes to mind immediately, I think like Philip, you need to take the opportunities that the Lord is giving you to see the gospel advance in the lives of other people. And if you're in the second group, the group of people who would say, you know, I don't know, genuinely, I don't know that I have that sort of opportunity in my life right now. I would say absolutely daily you should be praying for the Lord to open such a door for you. That our responsibility uh, as a church isn't limited to welcoming people that step into this room and ensuring that they understand the nature of the grace of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to extend the sort of hospitality that God extends. That God didn't wait for people to come to Him, that God actively pursued people that were straying from Him. And our responsibility as a church is to demonstrate that sort of proactive hospitality, where we don't just wait for people to wander in here but we go out and pursue others for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if our, if our impulse in our salvation is to exalt our Savior, if, if we're truly marveling at the grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ, our, our impulse should be obedience. And the sort of obedience that uh, most delights God, I think, is that sort of proactive hospitality where we become people who also invite others into the grace of Jesus Christ.
I, uh, I, I don't say all this to you, uh, and I hope that my tone hasn't communicated. Uh, I don't say all this to you as a person that thinks that doesn't happen here. Uh, I, uh, despite my parents' best efforts, uh, I was uh, a fool. And in God's sovereignty, uh, it wasn't until uh, someone here started actively pursuing me that I really understood what my parents had been telling me for so long. Right? I, I understand that if, if people in this church wouldn't have been demonstrating the sort of active hospitality that I'm talking about, that uh, I don't know, that I would still be probably walking in sin. Uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I am the beneficiary of our faithfulness uh, at this point as a church. Yet, yet, I think, uh, as I said, that, that the only person that we hold ourselves up to is Jesus Christ. Our our standard is always Jesus Christ. That we shouldn't ever be content in uh, being more hospitable than some. That we should always be striving for the sort of active hospitality and the desire to draw others into the grace of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ himself displayed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you relentlessly pursued us, though we were lost in our sin. And we thank you, God, that, uh, that you give us the example of Philip and someone who follows your clear direction, someone who uh, pursues... Uh, pursues someone who uh, rightly perceived uh, the idea that they weren't welcome in the kingdom of God. Uh, and God, we thank you for making it clear to us that you will readily receive any who turn from their sin and turn towards Christ in faith. And so, God, we thank you that you have shown us our own sin, and we thank you for uh, granting by your Spirit that we turn towards you in faith, and God, we ask now, as your sons and daughters, that you would increasingly give us a heart to do the same, and that we would be people uh, always in the highways and the hedges, God, searching for lost sinners and inviting them uh, to taste and see the goodness of Jesus Christ.
God, we pray that you would do this for your glory. God, we pray that you would do this uh, in love. God, for the sake of sinners who do not yet know you, but God, for your own sake as well. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.